0: This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Dwayne France. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne France.
1: Hello, and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France, and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with Kelly Robbins, a licensed professional counselor who specializes in couples counseling at the Family Care Center. After that, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, CPCD. On this week's Insight segment of the show, I'll be talking about the importance of trust, when it comes to addressing the mental health needs of the military-affiliated population. After 22 years in the military, and another five working with veterans as a mental health professional, I understand the immense value in the concept of trust. For a lot of service members, trust in the military went hand in hand. The Army trusted me with millions of dollars worth of equipment. More importantly, it trusted me with the lives of some of the most amazing people that I've ever known. My leadership trusted me with critical missions, impacting hundreds and sometimes thousands of service members. Sometimes, trust is implicit in the greater position that the military gave us. You really expect that a leader knows what they're doing, and really get bent out of shape when you realize that they don't know what they're doing. We trust our equipment. We trust our battle buddies. We trust the enemy sometimes, because they can be predictable, and at least we know where we stand with them. We trust that Chow's going to show up on time, and get really bent out of shape if it doesn't but we always have a backup plan in the form of that meal ready to eat that we have stashed under the seat. Sometimes that trust is betrayed. The rates of sexual assault and harassment in the military, both male and female, are overwhelmingly high. Those we are sworn to defend, to serve alongside of, are too often those who hurt us. Just like any organization, there are those who are more self-focused than other-focused, and the leaders of the organization can do much to establish or destroy the culture of trust. So at the end of a service member's military career, whether it's 8 years or 20 years, they've learned to trust at some points and not to trust at others. They have a finely tuned trust-distrust meter that served them well, or maybe not so much, but it was mostly effective. Trust is a very fragile and powerful concept. It's easily broken and slowly and imperfectly repaired when it is. If it stands the stress and test, however, it is a bond that binds tighter than steel. So my previous chosen profession that of soldier placed immense amount of value on the concept of trust and prepared me accordingly i received guidance and mentorship i was rewarded when i cared for that trust appropriately and punished when i abused that trust whether in combat or in garrison i was more than reasonably certain that i can get the support that i needed when i asked for it when it comes to trust in veteran mental health however things can be a little different my current chosen profession as mental health professional, does not have the same buy-in when it comes to a culture of trust from veterans. Like it or not, true or not, veterans think that they can't trust mental health professionals. The gift of trust that a veteran gives to a mental health professional is even more fragile and tenuous than when a service member trusted their leadership in the military. They don't know me. They don't know what I look like or what I'm going to say to them when they come to my office. They know what it feels like when they think about some of the stuff that they saw or did, so of course other people are going to be horrified or nauseated or judgmental. Why wouldn't the therapist be that way too? A lot of it, in my opinion, is that we, veterans, put more trust in misinformation than we do in reality. We accept common experiences as total truth and react accordingly. We go from sometimes-this-happens mindset to this-always-happens. I hear it often. They're just going to throw a bunch of pills at me. Sure, that happens sometimes, maybe even a majority of the time with some psychiatrists. Others that I work with actually reduce the number of medications that veterans are on rather than increase them. I also hear veterans say they're not really going to understand where I'm coming from, so there's no sense in trying. If that's what somebody believes and that's what they trust to be true, then it's going to be true to them. Instead, I believe the mental health profession needs to learn how to establish trust in the veteran community. Trust that mental health counseling is a safe place for the veteran to understand more about themselves, about why they think and act the way they do. Trust that when a veteran reaches out, support will be available. We focus so much on the stigma against seeking help and overcoming it that we forget that when a veteran reaches out and knocks on a door, there needs to be someone on the other side to answer. When veterans hear of that trust being broken or betrayed or abused in some way, then they'll share it. And other veterans will believe it, because we trust the word of one of our own before we trust the word of somebody that we don't know. That's one of the challenges with mental health is that we generalize bad experiences and we specify good experiences. So if a service member or veteran has a bad experience with a therapist, that bad experience is generalized to all therapy. I had a bad experience with a therapist, so therapy doesn't work. Therapy's not worth it. They don't understand you. But when a veteran has a good experience with a therapist, then only that experience is good. There's a lot of bad therapists in the world, but mine is pretty good. Or if they have a good experience, they don't say, you should try therapy. You should go see my therapist because my therapist is a good one. We need to be able to flip that around so that the bad experiences are localized in that I had one bad experience with a therapist, but that doesn't mean all therapy is bad and we need to be able to generalize good experiences. If I had a good experience with a therapist, then therapy can actually work. We need to be able to establish trust. The other side of broken trust is hope. Hope that there's somebody out there who'll be able to answer, who'll be able to respond when you reach out. Hope that there's a mental health professional that understands the veteran, is able to honor the trust that's placed in them, and help the veteran become more aware of their concerns. For me, and for many of the colleagues that I work with, that trust is a sacred gift that I'm honored to receive. There are many like us in the mental health profession. You just have to look for us because we're there waiting for help. Engage hope and give mental health professionals your trust. They'll do their best to care for it. So I appreciate being able to share some of these insights. Love to hear what you think. Share your thoughts with us by dropping an email to militarymind at Fccsprings.com Today's interview is with Kelly Robbins, a licensed professional counselor with the Family Care Center. Kelly received her undergraduate and graduate degrees from the University of Colorado. She's worked at Pikes Peak Mental Health, Volunteers of America, and Cedar Springs Psychiatric Hospital. She's been working with military families since 2011 and sees adults with depression, anxiety, PTSD, and trauma. She's Level 2 certified in EMDR for trauma processing. She also loves to work with couples and is Gottman Level 1 trained and trained in CBCT conjoint therapy for couples with PTSD. Let's get into my conversation with Kelly and come back afterwards to talk about this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week. So you've been a mental health counselor for a number of years at various locations. I'm interested to hear what brought you into working with veterans.
2: Well, I was actually working at a psychiatric hospital at that time, and I had a friend of mine that told me of an agency that was working with the military and had just started and were looking for some therapist and if I'd like to apply. And so really, I hadn't had a background in working with military families before, but I was really intrigued and very much so once I came over, really felt drawn towards working with the military, coming from a background of working in community health and then working in a hospital setting. And now working for military families, it's like a little community. And so it felt very different and very comfortable. Um, And it has just been. And then my daughter married somebody who was military. Um, And so I was with her at that time through her first deployment. And then they PCS, they went to Fort Hood. And so I got to experience that with her and go down there. And um, so it just seemed like the perfect time in my life to start that next kind of place in my career as I was – also experiencing that in my family as well
1: and so and I think that was a time in which you know it was really sort of the height of the deployments right you know right. In the 12 13 right. 14 mm-hmm. kind of time frame right. whereas now we're a little bit after sort of that surge um, what was it like for you starting to work with military families going through that large cycle like that
2: um, you know i think some of those deployments at that time like my daughter's first husband was military and his first deployment and that was 2009 to 2010 it was an Mm 18-month deployment Mm -hmm. and they had just had twins Mm -hmm. and that was an incredibly long long deployment and she we moved her in after she had the babies but just you know looking at the challenges that they went through you know through going through that and and again it would just sort of gave me the the thought that you know this is something that I want to do these are people that I want to help and then going on into 11 and 12 and 13 the deployments got a little bit smaller they were 12 months then they became nine months and then her husband's father died in Iraq on his third deployment And we had just spent Thanksgiving with them. He deployed. His son was still with my daughter. He deployed. And about three months later, he got killed. Um, So that was a significant thing in our lives. And again, just watching his younger brother and sister go through that, and of course, her mother-in-law, and and, uh, what that process was like, and how it uh, affects the family and, and again, the whole community of the military.
1: Right. You know, it's this, um, our our mental health impacts our family and our family impacts our mental health, right? Our relationships impact our our wellness. But you touch on something that's unique in this time is that my father was a Vietnam veteran, right? So my father was a combat veteran. I and my younger brother are both combat veterans, Mm -hmm. but we're from different eras and different wars but this is the first time for example your son-in-law and his father they were in the two generations mm-hmm. but in the same war in same right. conflict this right. isn't this is new
2: yeah he had his son very young so he was like 18 when he had him and so by the time he joined his dad um they didn't deploy at the same time he deployed after his father but yeah they were both in
1: and and, I, and again, this can be challenging multi-generationally, right? We, if we right, talk about right. family tension, we're talking about, um, you know, in between, right, in spouses and stuff like that, but you specialize in marriage and family counseling, which is similar but also different than just straight clinical therapy, right? People think, you know, Freud on the couch kind of stuff, but right. you, you specialize in couples counseling. You have specific training in something called Gottman's Couples Therapy. Mm -hmm. or Gottman Couples Therapy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Right, so when I came in, um, and it was Haven Behavioral Health at that time, they didn't have anybody that did couples. And I hadn't done couples because I, again, came from a hospital setting at that point. And so I said to Brian, who owned the facility at that time, I said, if you do some training, help me with some training, then I would be interested in working with couples. And so I kind of researched a little bit on what kind of training I wanted, and I was really drawn to them Julie and John Gottman, they're both doctors, and they have written numerous books, not only on couples therapy, but family therapy, working with children. Um, they do an incredible amount of work. What's different in their treatment of working with couples is that traditional psychotherapy with couples, had couples come in, they would sit down and instantly the therapist would say, well, tell me a little bit about what brought you in. And instantly, boy, the fireworks would start, right? Um, And what they found is that the majority of the times when couples left, they really didn't feel much better than they did when they very first came in. And often they didn't come back because of that. So their therapy is very different. They don't start with that. They have them come in, and they have them tell them the history of their relationship. And instantly you see them both just sit up, and they smile, and they they dialogue back and forth, and they tell you about how they first met and what attracted them to one another and the things that they do. And by the time that first hour is open, you're like, you know, we're going to spend a couple of weeks, and we're just going to take you back to that. I want you guys to generate that fondness and that admiration that you had when you first got together. We got lots and lots and lots of time to talk about the conflict and the betrayal and the hurt, but right now I just want you guys to spend time together, quality time together, and have fun. So they have games, they have card games that we play. I have games that I give them to do at home. I suggest that they look at different interests that they might have. Maybe they're gonna take a painting class together. Maybe they're gonna take a wine tasting class. Maybe they're gonna take cooking classes. Um, Get an old piece of furniture and refinish it together. Just enjoy their time together. And we'll do that for several weeks. And as you're doing that, right, you're always taking notes and you 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 find out through doing that what some of their issues are. Mm-hmm. And so once you get them in a really good place, then we start working on some of the hard stuff, right? And um, it's a, but by then you've also got them to where they're invested in therapy, mm-hmm. um, it's not a scary thing, nobody feels shamed, and they're really willing to work. So it's just a different approach.
1: Yeah, and I, and I can see that, you know, if you come in and you just want to, you know, you're just carrying over the argument that you had in the car on the way over, yeah, right? And you're just yeah. continuing to argue if you're focusing on the negative things in the current what you're doing is reminding them of why they fell in love in the first place. I mean, right, hopefully, right. none of us get married, you know. I mean, we 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 are, you know, we have positive feelings about the person right, that we chose right, to right. to have in our lives, and so by helping them understand, hey, remind how in love you were when you first mm-hmm. met, and that's still there. Right. Um, that can sort of reduce some of those arguments, absolutely. at least uh, about therapy.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And then. Um, shortly after that, the military, and you might have remembered this, Duane, they brought in um, Candace Munson um, to do some training with the team on what they call Cognitive Behavioral Co-Joint Therapy for PTSD. I have to read it off this book because it's such a long term. And what her theory was, was it's, again, it's another theory for working for with couples, and, and, but it's a little bit different and uh, her belief is that when one or more of the spouses have ptsd that over time the couple begins to share those symptoms and so the treatment is not just the person with ptsd but the treatment becomes the couples and you really look at um, the changes that they have made because one or more of them have PTSD, the places that they're not going anymore, the things that they're not doing together anymore, the fact that both of them are retreating to different rooms when they come home at night and so on. And they they look at the PTSD as well after they've made some changes in their, in their environment and they start teaching them that It is safe and okay to make some changes. Um, But the difference in that, I get a notebook, the client gets a notebook. Every week you get homework and then we talk about the homework. So some people really like that kind of therapy. There's not a lot of interpersonal dialogue Mm -hmm. except about the material. Some couples don't really like that style. I'm a little old school. That's not really my style either. So what I've done over the the years is I use a lot of her material, but I just sort of pull it out. I don't Mm -hmm. use the strict notebook model that she presents where I'll just... Take out various lessons that I find relative to the couple that I have in front of me and use that stuff. But that's been very helpful, too.
1: And so an example is if the service member is hypervigilant and is always sort of on guard going out, Um, Over time, the spouse takes over some of that also. So the spouse is also hypervigilant and on guard and protective of the service member. And so the spouse not having experienced the trauma themselves can exhibit some of the symptoms of PTSD.
2: Right. Right. Or they just have isolated themselves so much. Right. because the serviceman doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to go to restaurants anymore. He doesn't want to go to the Citadel anymore. He doesn't want to really walk the dog anymore. So pretty soon, she doesn't do those things either, Mm. right? And uh, and then they're just miserable.
1: And then that can then, to the children, right? So, you know, now, you know, everybody has to walk on eggshells because mom or dad is having a bad day or or a bad week and and it can really, um, expand to it and, and we in the Clint, you know we call this vicarious trauma or secondary mm-hmm. trauma or something right, like that right but it can right. really be uh, outside of just the service member it can impact all of the family
2: right right exactly exactly yeah and I can think of a family that I worked with that the trauma was it was actually um, a 30-year ex-police um, officer and he had suffered a lot of trauma uh, in particular, he had shot a kid once, and but had some significant trauma. And it was really affecting the family. The same thing, right? They, ha- they weren't even eating meals together anymore, mm. right? And I remember after a few months, I got them to eat meals together, and um, his wife was really happy about that. But the kids were really struggling with Dad isolating all the time, and they really wanted to do things. And so I had the kids come in one day, and the little one was only about seven. And I had him stand up, and I filled a couple cups with water. Um, I told him it was to the top, but it really wasn't because, had his eyes closed because it was in there. And I had him stand there, and I had him hold those waters and close his eyes. And I talked to him, and pretty soon his arms got heavier. And I said, now careful, you're about ready to spill that water. And he got real tense. And I kept going like that. And then I had him describe to me how that felt. And I said, and that's how your dad feels all the time. Mm. Imagine that you were inside your dad and he had that same feeling of being scared and thinking that something bad was gonna happen and that he was gonna mess up and he had this anxiety. That's how your dad feels all the time. So sometimes when he goes off into his office, it's just too much for him. And he really needs to do that because he needs some quiet, mm-hmm. right? And so just getting them to really understand that, but then working all together, right? right? Sometimes it's okay to say, "Dad, you really need to come out now, right? You can have your time, but now you now I want you to come out, right? Let's go ride the horses."
1: And, and I think that's important for family members to understand. I really appreciated how um, how you were able to to let that that you know young person know in a very physical way, um, but it's really helping them understand in a way that, that dad doesn't have that mm-hmm. language, right? You know, we don't have that right. language to be able to communicate right. that to right. ourselves, but also at the same time helping dad that, you know, hey, you can relax a little bit. The cup mm-hmm. is not, you know, full. It's not gonna about right. to overflow. So, and gotcha. in, in this is something I've always understood about because I'm an individual clinician. I don't do couples counseling, um, but I've heard it described in that as a therapist, my client is the client, but as a, a marriage and family counselor, your client is the family, is, it, is the relationship, right? right, right? Is right. is the group of them. How do how is that different, do you think, than say individual therapy?
2: Um for me it, it doesn't seem different because okay. it's always been that way. I think for the couple it seems different because they come in and each one of them thinks one of them is the client one of right. Mm -hmm. And they've identified in their head, like he's the problem or she's the problem. Right. And, and part of it is a teaching process where you let them know that, you know, it's a marriage relationship. So it really takes two. So he or she can act a certain way, but the way you respond to it is the way that you act. And so it's together that you guys are creating this, this, thing that's not working, it's not just what they're saying, it's how you're reacting. And so it really is a partnership and just sort of educating them on that a little bit.
1: It's almost as if they've become the enemy, right, of each other, right? So it's a if we're playing chess, you're on one side and I'm on the other and I have to beat you instead of the problem is actually the chessboard. So we can come around to the same side and and address the problem, which is the, the chess in front of us. We're not the enemy each other. But but sometimes they do become that way.
2: Right. Right. And I've had almost all couples that come in that say, you know, we were seeing somebody else and we just thought we needed a change. And I'll say, well, do you mind if I ask what happened? Because I don't want to do the same thing. And they say, well, you know, they sort of, one person will say, well, they made it all about me. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you want to be very careful not to do that. You never want to make it all about one person. Right. Because it's really not.
1: I think this and that is something that that even as I have uh, recommended for some of my individual clients, because Mm -hmm. we can only go so far. uh, 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 I'm not sure if uh, so. A former colleague of ours, the Warrior Support Center, Joshua Kramer, he he, um, Dr. Kramer, he always says it's sort of like you're you're wiping off the pig and throwing it back in the pig pen and and then it gets messed up. So go back into the environment. Right. Um, sending them back into the environment in which everything gets gets messed up. And so when I say, you know, hey, we've gone as far as we can individually, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like you've got some things you need to work out as a couple, you should really be in couples counseling. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you know, the last time we tried that, you know, it was all about me or it was all about her, that it always, that, that there's this idea that when it comes to couples counseling, one person's always the bad guy and one person's always the good guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, not true. Not true. Right. Right. And sometimes one person does really need individual counseling. Maybe like, you know, if they've had some family trauma in their background, that's really bleeding into the marriage relationship. And that's a little different when you say, you know what, Um, we're still going to work in couples, but I would really recommend some individual therapy just to work on that issue. Not not couple stuff, right? Just for you to get to a place where you feel better about that one issue, right? And, and really make sure that I explain it in a way that they understand that that's not a, I'm not shaming them. I'm not making them feel bad. I'm just saying that I think that it would be helpful to the marriage if you worked on some of that childhood trauma.
1: For instance, and and you know, and we'll get into this a little bit later as well. But um, a couples counseling can really save marriages. Like literally, that's the yeah. reason yeah. why why it's there. Um, But but some people, you know, they have this idea of, of, you know, it's going to make things worse or it's not going to help or or something like that. So it's I think it is another aspect of sort of this wellness and it can help people improve. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, I've I, I think I've said it on the show here before. Um, my wife and I went to marriage counseling after my tour in Iraq and after Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't mm-hmm. for both of those times, we mm-hmm. likely still wouldn't be married. Right, right. Um, and we made a deliberate choice both of those times to be, to do that because, um, it, it because we wanted to stay married, of course, right. but also it made our marriage stronger and it made sure that I was able to continue on and do what I needed to do in the military. Right.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, and so it's it's really encouraging to me to to hear about um, and even be able to encourage uh, service members and veterans to, to be able to get couples counseling. So you're listening to Inside the Military Mind with me, your host, Dwayne France. Today, I'm having a conversation with Kelly Robbins, a clinical mental health counselor with the Family Care Center. So we've talked a little bit about the multiple deployments and, and sort of your approach to, to couples counseling. Um, you've seen a wide range of challenges, um, again, And going through these these sort of heights of the deployments and then as the deployments have sort of diminished both with the common stress of being in the military as well as the impact of multiple long deployments in a short period of time what would you say are some of the things that are the most challenging for military couples
2: um i would say first and foremost is probably the whole reintegration process right the the time Mm -hmm. that they spend to get away from one another and then they get back together And those could be varied kind of reintegration problems that they have. The one that I probably see first and foremost is the idea that they get so excited as it nears the time that their spouse is going to be coming home. And they create in their head this idea that it's just going to be like this honeymoon Like Fantasy Island. Yeah, Yeah, like it's just going to be wonderful, right? And... Two or three weeks in, and they find out it's not like that, right? And they feel a lot of guilt, and they feel a lot of shame. They wonder, well, how come they don't have that connection? How come I'm not, like, all over this person and madly in love with them like I thought I would be? and just to normalize that for them and just to say you know think about what it's like when you haven't seen somebody for a long time maybe it's a family member that you haven't been able to see for a couple years and you see them and you sit down for lunch and it takes a little while right you have that period of awkwardness where you have to sort of catch up Well, it's like that in your marriage relationship, right? One of you have been gone for anywhere from six to nine to 12 months and things have changed, right? Um, You've been over across the country with your people doing your thing and the other person's been at home, maybe with the kids and work, doing their thing. In the meantime, they're doing, you know, they're learning how to work on the car and they're learning how to, you know, do the drain in the kitchen and they can change the transmission now and um, they can do all these things. And so you come home and the other issue is, well, what am I supposed to do now? Mm -hmm. You know, where, where are my responsibilities? Right. And the other person being willing to say, oh, Um, it is important for you to be able to do some of these things yeah I can do them I learned how to do them while you were gone but you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna be willing to get them back to them so one of the things I tell them is you got to communicate you have to talk about those things because probably the biggest mistake that people make is they just don't talk about it they know that something's not right that I'm feeling like I'm useless but I never said that to my spouse right Or that you're still feeling like you're overwhelmed, like you're doing everything, but you've never said that to your spouse. And it's not until they get in the office and they sit down on the couch and it comes out and the other person looks at them and says, oh, my gosh, why didn't you tell me? Mm -hmm. I would have gladly let you take the car to go get it washed or take the kids to gymnastics. I, I didn't know you wanted to do that right? And so teaching them to really talk about just even those really, really small things, right that they need from one another, that's real important.
1: And, and so and to touch on that, um, both of and I, I've heard I've even have clients that say this is we've both grown during these deployments. Mm-hmm. But we've gl- grown separately and in different directions, right? right so if we look right. at it from the spouse standpoint, you mentioned some of this is the spouse becomes much more independent. Right. Um, it's it's almost I mean it, it is a physical separation, but they become a single parent without the understanding of I, I'm I'm not divorced or anything. I'm still in this relationship, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm a, in in all other words, I am a single parent, and that can create a lot of stress for the spouse that remains home after the deployment.
2: Right, right. And I really encourage them to have a lot of date nights and just spend time together, just having fun again and getting to know one another again, because they have changed so much. Both of them have changed so much, right?
1: And then on the service member side, because obviously if somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't go to combat without getting a couple dents in the fingers, Mm -hmm. right? And that changes them. But this idea of... um. The spouse has this ideal, you know, homecoming that, that's going to come back. And some of it may be, you know, they're going to come back and take some of this stuff off of my plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the service member coming back is having this ideal of, you know, um, it's all going to be great. And it, but they have their own things to deal with. And so you have maybe the trauma of combat coming back in and integrating with someone who's had a lot of the stress related to single parenting. And again, without that communication, it can cause a lot of problems.
2: Right, right. And, you know, on that note, Duane, I think that that's why stuff like this is so, so important because early on in those deployments, I think we didn't have that education out there for a lot of families. And so after 18 months, their spouse would come back and these families really did not know what to do. They didn't, and they didn't have people out there saying, hey, there's some help for that, right? We know that you're being challenged, right? And so now we do, right? The servicemen come back different, and the the spouse that stayed at home changes a lot too, and their family changes, right? Mm -hmm. Their baby was in a crib when they got Mm -hmm. home, and now they're in a toddler bed, Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and that's right? and this is something again, and I've said it on the show. Is when I started to deploy, my kids were in kindergarten and first grade, and when I stopped deploying, they were approaching high school. That's what three stages of growth yeah, there. Exactly. Um, that I was not. I was you know missing all or part of right. those intervening right. years. Right. And and even in that, and and this is something that that my wife often uh, describes. Is there was a point in which she said. Um, we came back and I disciplined the children and she got angry. She was like, who is this guy thinking he's going to say to my kids? And the
2: kids are thinking the same thing. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait Mm -hmm. a minute. You've been gone all this time and now you're telling me Mm -hmm. what to do.
1: And that yeah. can be challenging for the service member because oh, the service member, I was used to people listening to, but I came home and the cats wouldn't listen to me. The dogs, the kids would nobody would listen nobody to me. Nobody would listen. And so there's this challenges in identity, I think is right. reintegrating in identities exactly. that you're talking exactly.
2: about. Exactly. And then you compound that if there's been some betrayal or hurt mm-hmm. that has happened during the deployment. Um, something such as you know infidelity or something like that, and then mm-hmm. that's another thing I think that is higher maybe in military families than is in the civilian sector, just because again the time that's away, mm-hmm. and just navigating that, and um, you know people come in all the time and they want to know you know how do we build the trust back up in our relationship? How do we get? ourselves back to that place where I know that this person is going to be faithful to me. And what I tell them is there's no pat answer that I can give them. Trust takes a lot of time and for everybody it's a little bit different, but we'll work on the elements of trust. And that would be honesty, consistency, and transparency. And a lot of them really struggle with transparency. They don't, they don't want to do that. But I, I'm honest and I say, you know, when you're unfaithful to somebody, you've lost your right to, mm-hmm. to not to have hold tra- secrets. Yeah. to hold mm-hmm. secrets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to do that. And what I tell them is for everybody, it's different. Some people can gain that trust back in a few months. And some people it takes a few years. But what, I, but what I do tell them is if you don't get that back, you probably will not be successful in your marriage because you can't continue to beat somebody up year after year over things that have happened in the past. Right? That doesn't make for a healthy relationship.
1: And in, in this, of course, is on both sides, right? Uh, on you know, both sides, that absolutely. Remain back, right? In, oh, sure. And the army, and, and I, I'm sure. The, and
2: I am certainly not you know, saying it's on the servicemen's part. It's, well, happens it happens at home just as much.
1: Although my point was it, it, the the old phrase, and I assume that it's still there, is in the army is T D Y, temporary duty. Was some people saw it as temporarily to divorce yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in that, in that, this is on both sides. Service members mm-hmm. finding themselves in remote locations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever they want to call it, a hall pass. But but this is trust can be deeply broken on both sides um, and, and almost in a cyclical manner. Well, you did this to me, and so that gives me a right to do that to you. And right, so then you right. did that. And yeah, and that can yeah. just cause more of these challenges. Exactly,
2: exactly. Right, right. And, you know, the other part is just getting them to make that commitment, right? Like I said, the whole, I mentioned the word transparency, and I could just see the panic on you know, one or both of their faces. They're like, what are you talking about? You know, this is, I should have a right to this privacy. Well, you kind of lost that right when you stepped outside of your marriage in whatever fashion you did. And so if you really want to make this work, right, you need to do that, you know, and you look at other forms of therapy, like addiction therapy, whether it's Pornography or alcohol. I mean, they have a very strict protocol that you have to adhere if you want to get better. So it's the same thing with building the trust. Mm. If you're not willing to do those few things, you're not, it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better.
1: And I'm curious then, in these patterns of disrupted relationships, because not only is, and, and it's interesting to me, I don't think I knew that, um, you know, a higher frequency of infidelity, but multiple marriages, um, you know, with service members, mm-hmm. I, 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 spent the last couple of years in 10 special forces group and a buddy of mine said, uh, special forces soldier, they have the, the woman that they joined the army with the woman that they deployed with, and then the woman that they, Retired with right three separate yeah. marriages and and that creates more complicated issues when you're on someone that are that's that you're you're working with someone who has the same patterns within multiple two three four marriages
2: right 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 yeah especially the couples that get married very very young
1: mm-hmm. right
2: right out of high school or they had a child before they got married and then they ended up getting married because he got orders to deploy and again they're 18 19 years old those are difficult marriages because not only do they have the whole military life to learn But they also have the whole marriage to learn and their whole life Experiences to learn you think about what we were like between the ages (laughs) of 18 and 25. We were such different people Mm -hmm. right right if we could Institute a law that nobody gets married before 24 Right. I think that would be good because people change so much early on. They really do.
1: And and you're right. I I served in the late 90s in the 82nd Airborne Division and I was a squad leader. One of my soldiers was 19 years old. His wife was 18 years old and they had two kids, Uh, you know, and and it was mind boggling and and not just the relationship stress, but the financial stress. I mean, people know we don't make a whole bunch of money, but an E2 with two kids doesn't make a whole bunch of money. And So you have a couple of teenagers, right, Mm -hmm. who have a couple of toddlers or babies um, and then you have the financial stress. And even at that that time wasn't a time where you're deploying. but We were training a lot all of these different things factor into relationships
2: right 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 So and and so I really but again going back with a little bit of using the Gottman theory, I really encourage them when they first get back to find something that the couple can join on right Like I said something like well I had one couple it was that I'm working with and he has deployed five times. They have four children ranging from 21 to five, and he just came back and they took up salsa lessons. And I tell you what, they are having so much fun. They're like little kids. They are just having a blast, right? And if you can find something, right? That's something that the both of you guys can enjoy and just have fun again. It's the best way to get to know one another. What do we do when we first start dating? We just spend time with them, right? Mm -hmm. We go out to dinner and we go to movies and we go rock climbing and we just do activities. And so it's the same thing for you guys. You've been apart for 12 months. You got to start to get to know each other again. So find something to do. And COVID certainly presented different challenges, right? Because people couldn't go out and do things. They couldn't go salsa dancing. They couldn't take wine tasting. They couldn't take cooking classes. And so I had couples get real creative. I had one that got a couple of high-rise bar stools and a black night. And they set their living room up like a bar. And every Friday night, they had a date night in their living room. People, like I said, they would refurnish furniture together. They would have picnics in the living room, just different things like that so that they can just enjoy one another and begin to date again.
1: And I think this communication, you referred to that, the transparency and then this creativity, this takes effort right this is this is effort that someone yeah. has to put right. into right. to be able to salvage a marriage right. that that right. may be under tension
2: right right two words that i talk about all the time is to be intentional and purposeful right meaning that you you have to you have to work to make it get better there used to be a show on tlc about maybe about five years ago. It was called Seven Days of Sex. It only ran for one season, but what it was about was they they featured two couples on the brink of divorce, and they um, told them for one week they had to have relations every night, and then at the end of that week, they had to decide whether or not they wanted to stay married. And these were couples' average length of years was about 15 years, they all had kids and stuff, What was interesting about that program is because they only had a week and because each night they wanted to spend time together, they were very intentional and purposeful. They got up in the morning and they really thought about things that they had talked about for 10 years but never changed. Oh, that's right, you wanted me to get the dogs out of the bed. Okay, now I'm gonna do that now, right? You say, I'm never willing to leave the kids with anybody and go out with you. Well, I'm gonna get a babysitter tonight and we're gonna go out, right? You say that you don't like the fact that I come home and I put my pajamas on and wouldn't like you'd like me just to put some shorts on and some shoes and maybe we take a walk. Well, now I'm gonna start doing that. And in a week, they made these incredible transformations And what I got out of the show, I was like, oh, my gosh, I could spend six months with somebody and they did it in a week. (laughs) Right. And it was all about the fact that every single day they were intentional and they were purposeful in making changes because they had a task at the end of their day and it pushed them to do it. So that's what I want them to do. I want them to know that this is a journey that they've taken on. And it's not about the hour that we spend together. It's really about what you do during the week, Mm -hmm. right?
1: No, I, I really appreciate that. I, I often, um, and, and you know that I work with folks in the Veterans Court, and I say that I'm I'm not worried about whether or not you graduate Veterans Court. I'm worried about you 65, mm-hmm. when you're 65 years old, right? right. Yeah, you want to help them now, but you also want to make sure that they're there together for the grandkids and stuff like right. that. Right. So a, a lot of times, and we talked a little bit about this, service members and veterans are hesitant, right, to talk about, you know, to go to couples mm-hmm. counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give to somebody listening who may be wondering if this is, is something that they should try
2: um, I, I say you know do it you know a lot of people come in some people come in when they have problems but some people come in to avert problems so you know either way I, I just want to say that it's nothing that you should be shameful about it's nothing that you should feel bad about it's okay to ask for some help and probably the biggest thing that I wanna to say to veterans is that it's it's confidential. It's all protected healthcare information. So when you come in with your spouse, we see them under the dependent's name and that chart is under that person's name. There's no records of, of the servicemen, right? And without a court order, they cannot get your Therapy notes. So I think part of it is letting them know that their command's not going to find out about the ins and outs of their marriage, or that it's going to be a mark on their career. That's that's so not true. That's so not true. And more so, command in fact is saying, you know what? If if your family's okay and you're okay, you're going to be a better soldier. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll print out, you know. Let your command know that we're going to meet at five o'clock every Monday and take that to them. And they're more than willing to say, you know what, that's important. In fact, I want you to go because you're going to do better for me when you're better.
1: And I think conversely, and especially now as we're now in the 20th year of this, this really long series of deployments is, Um, you know, just as my kids were young when I started, you know, my wife and I were young when I started, Mm -hmm. but, but senior leaders now have grown up and and have these concerns. But, uh, the second time we were in marriage counseling, I was a company first sergeant and I made it known to my platoon sergeants and squad leaders that, Hey, first sergeant's not going to be here today because he's going to marriage counseling. Right. So it's not just saying that you know, the command supports them going, we need to be able to show right. that, that, you know, Hey, it's important for us because I, you know,
2: that's really good. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm going to, she's going to be around much longer than the army is. That's for sure.
2: Right. 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 Just, you know, that, that learning by, by your leadership, you yeah. know, right. Same thing. Kids look to their mom and dads and if it's okay for mom and dad to do, well, maybe it's okay for mom, for me to do it. So for your soldiers to see you doing that, I think is a big deal. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. No, this yeah. has been great. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, any final thoughts?
2: Um, just give us a call, right? We have a wonderful organization. We have just excellent therapists, both individual as well as family, as well as couple therapy therapists. And we are just, all of us just love this population and look forward to being able to help our military families as much as we can.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you, Dwayne.
1: I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Kelly. On today's Homefront Military Network resource segment, I'm glad to share a Homefront Military Network partner that takes care of some of the youngest members of the military-affiliated community, CPCD. CPCD gives children a head start, prepares them for success in school and life by providing excellent, comprehensive early childhood services in partnership with diverse families and the community. Founded in 1987, CPCD was spun off from Catholic Charities to manage the Head Start program in El Paso County. At that time, they were funded to serve 300 children. Now they reach nearly six times that many through Early Head Start for prenatal moms through age three, Head Start for preschoolers three to five, and the Colorado Preschool Program for preschoolers four years of age. Today, CPCD, formerly known as the Community Partnership for Child Development, operates more than 60 classrooms in school districts 2, 3, 8, 11, 20, and 49. They're honored to have a standalone facility on Fort Carson with six classrooms. Military families account for 25% of their program participants. CPCD serve more than 270 families identifying as either veteran or active duty for the school year 2020 to 2021. In addition to education, CPCD provides health, behavioral health, transportation, nutrition, home visits, and family services. Families are offered parenting classes, health and wellness education, referrals, and support in accessing community and military services. CPCD currently employs approximately 360 staff members, including teachers, family advocates, nurses, bus drivers, and administrative and support staff. They also partner with early connections learning centers and 10 family child care homes to serve 1,800 families with children ages zero to five who are living in limited income households, have special needs, or are experiencing other difficult circumstances that could challenge their readiness for kindergarten. CPCD's early childhood education programs create the foundation for lifelong learning. From the time a child is born the brain is alive with no neurological connections and synaptic development. Ninety percent of a child's brain develops before the age of five when the brain of the little one is exposed to multiple risk factors such as poverty, low maternal education, and numerous deployments, their brain development slows and their educational foundation becomes fragile. CPCD offers tuition-free, high-quality early childhood education that has an immediate impact on a children's life. Many studies have shown that children who receive early childhood education are less likely to repeat a grade and more likely to have better school readiness, self-esteem, and achievement motivation. Through their Early Head Start, Head Start, and Colorado Preschool programs, CPCD provides comprehensive early childhood care and education services for pregnant women and children birth through age five. While early childhood education is a center of everything that CPCD does, their programs extend to parents with parenting classes, nutrition workshops, financial literacy seminars, and so much more. Family advocates are trained in the unique needs of military families and can help navigate family needs to resources and goals to success. When a child enrolls in CPCD, so does her family. All of CPCD's programs serve to enhance the development of children while providing parents with the tools that they need to be their child's first and best teacher. Furthermore, CPCD's full comprehensive programming also includes health screenings, behavioral health support, and special needs therapists. CPCD primarily uses the creative curriculum. Teachers use developmentally appropriate practices to teach social-emotional skills, literacy and language skills, cognitive skills, and physical skills. Children have a play-based experience focused on their specific developmental needs. All children, regardless of ability, are included in the classroom. Parents and families can apply for CPCD's program on their website, cpcdheadstart.org, and click on the I Am a Parent bubble, enroll now, and complete the pre-application. Families that cannot complete the pre-application online can request a hard copy by calling CPCD at 719-635-1536. Community organizations can refer families to CPCD by completing the enrollment referral form. This is the fastest way to connect families to the organization. Families can also refer themselves. To complete the enrollment referral form, please go to the CPCD website and click on the CPCD logo in the top center. After the pre-application referral form is submitted, one of the enrollment technicians will reach out to the family to answer any questions they might have and help them complete the pre-application virtually. CPCD does not distinguish between families with documented legal status and those without it. CPCD serves children only based on need. If you have any questions about enrollment, please call CPCD at 719-635-1536 or email enrollnow at cpcd.org. Currently... CPCD is offering two learning models, in-person and virtual learning. The in-person model, classroom learning, allows students to return to school in-person with modifications to the learning environment. Classroom staff will follow procedures to allow for social distancing where applicable and regular sanitations to meet El Paso County Health and CDC guidelines. The virtual learning model will enable families to receive support through a new virtual program called Ready Rosie, along with regularly scheduled virtual meetings to stay connected to the classroom. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, CPCD has been working to clean and disinfect, gather needed supplies, and make new rules for daily operations to have the best classroom environment possible for all children and staff. Their procedures follow the guidelines by the El Paso County Department of Health Licensing and the Center for Disease Control. You can learn more about their COVID precautions on their website, cpcdheadstart.org. CPCD's mission is simple. Start early, build the little one's brain, and engage parents toward success. CPCD is enrolling now for fall. Don't wait to enroll your children. Space is limited. And remember, this community resource is brought to you by the Homefront Military Network. The mission of the Homefront Military Network is to connect military service members, veterans, and their families to resources offered by trusted community partners and to provide emergency financial assistance. You can find more about what they do at homefrontmilitarynetwork.org. So thanks for taking the time to listen to the show. It would be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you may have or know what you would like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send us an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com, and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for informational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I am not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discussed in the show brings up any concerns for you, it is highly recommended that you consult with a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week, and until then, remember, you're not alone, ever. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck
0: Weber inviting you to Learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind. Addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family caring for your family. FcSprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF. And listen to the companion podcast on Podbean.